This message is a product of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. We thank you for engaging this conversation. Messages like this one are great resources to help us grow, but they cannot replace being a part of a local church. If you're not actively a part of a church, we encourage you to find one near you that fits you, visit it, and get involved. And we hope this message gives life to you today. Enjoy. Good morning. Thank you, Kevin, for that awesome introduction. I was really excited to see who was going to come out after such a grandiose introduction, but thank you so much. It's good to be back with you. I was here about a year ago, I think, and uh, maybe three or four times since your founding, and I've always believed in what God is doing in this congregation, in this church, in the community. So I really commend you who are part of this, this awesome ministry to this part of, of our county and our community. It is just awesome what God is doing through you, and I, I thank God daily for you. I want to begin by asking you a question. How did you sleep last night? Sleep okay, everybody? I see some heads nodding. How about anybody that didn't sleep so well? I, nobody will admit it, right? Yeah, there's a couple. I see those hands in the back. Thank you. Um, my wife, uh, I was, she was getting ready to go to church when I left this morning, and so she said, I didn't sleep at all last night, didn't sleep well at all, and I suggested that maybe she needed to clear her conscience before she went to bed, which is not the best thing to say to your spouse <laughs> after a poor night's sleep, <laughs> so I got off kind of a bad start, but anyway, uh, there are some reasons why we don't sleep well, and you know what they are, don't you, because we've all probably experienced that. Maybe it is an unclear conscience that there are things on our mind that are bothering us, uh, guilt or, or shame, which is, is usually imposed from other people. Or maybe we just have a, a lot of things on our mind. Our mind is so cluttered and we just can't seem to shut it down. And I've had those experiences. Sometimes I'll toss and turn for 15 or 20 seconds before I go to sleep. I mean, I just, it's just not a problem that I usually have going to sleep. Or maybe it's something we ate before we went to bed, and that digestion interferes with our sleep. Well, scientists who study such things talk about two different stages, two major stages of sleep. One that we're more familiar with is called REM, rapid eye movement, and the other one is called NREM, non-rapid eye uh, movement. So, You know, that's pretty simple to to divide it into those two stages. But in that first stage, which makes up the the deepest part of our sleep, our muscles are totally relaxed. Our mind is usually shut down if it's working well or if the sleep pattern is working well, not our mind. And if 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 we're okay, that is the the deepest part of our sleep. Well, the non-rapid eye movement suggests that there isn't much going on in our lives. Our blood pressure actually decreases during that first part of sleep, the first 40% or so of a good night's sleep. And then the non, uh, or the rapid eye movement rather, suggests that there is some activity, some awakening that's starting to happen with our body, which has been shut down to this point, but now it's beginning to wake up, and so the eyes actually sometimes will flutter. So... Those are the two major stages of sleep. We often talk about that deep sleep and how important that is. But you seldom hear anyone say 
anything about a deep awakening. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning, a deep awakening. What, what is this deep awakening? We've heard of spiritual awakenings, and many of you, perhaps all of you at some point, have had some kind of spiritual awakening. If it's nothing more than the commitment to come to church this morning and to worship God and to be involved in the community of faith, the believers who share the same belief, that is a bit of a spiritual awakening, isn't it? There was a, a period in the early stages of our country from about 1730 to 1760. You can look it up. It's, it's been written about widely. It was called the Great Awakening. It was a period in our history, actually prior to uh, the founding of our country, prior to the Declaration of Independence and the Revolutionary War and our independence from, from any foreign tyranny uh, rule. And it was called the Great Awakening because people were turning to God by the thousands. And there were two preachers who were noted to be leaders in this movement, George Whitfield and Jonathan Edwards. And so... A lot was going on. In fact, this was credited, this period of time was credited perhaps with the founding or helping to establish the founding of our country, a great spiritual awakening. And out of that emerged the Constitution of the United States and the Declaration of Independence and, and the very eloquent way that all of those things are written and established. And there are, of course, people today, especially spiritual leaders who are saying that we need a another great awakening in our country. And none of us could argue with that when we look at this political landscape of our day, especially this particular election year. We can all say amen to that, right? And so we need that spiritual awakening. So it prompted me to think as I was thinking about this topic this morning or this week to present this morning, what would it look like if there was a spiritual awakening in our country? I think it would cause a, a lot of laws to be changed. It would cause the, the foundations maybe to be rethought and, and, re, and, uh, and renewed. And we would get back to the basics and we would come back to God and there would be churches overflowing with people on Sunday mornings and any other time the doors were open. And it would just change the, everything about who we are as a country. But here's the most important question. What would it look like in your own personal life? Because that's where it has to begin, isn't it? With your own personal spiritual awakening. And I want to call it a deep awakening. Not just a surface thing, because, you know, we can have, a, we can wake ourselves up with coffee, or that's the purpose, is it not, of the, the big energy drinks, Monster and Red Bull and all of those. There are just, I guess, dozens of them by now. I've only had one energy drink in my life. I had a Red Bull, and honestly, it tasted so bad, I thought, I don't ever want one of those again. I'll stick with my coffee and tea, right? In, in my day, and some of you will know what my day was like, we had things like uh, no-dose. Remember those little tablets you could get to stay awake studying at night? It's just a little shot of caffeine. And then there was the hard stuff, which we won't get into, that some of my friends were taken to keep us awake, to stay all night, you know, to pull the all-nighters before exams or something. But, um, and I remember this soft drink called Jolt. Anybody remember Jolt? I met this kid on a mission trip uh, just outside of Boston back in the 80s. 
he was like 18 or 19 years old, and he was just like bouncing off the walls, and I thought, this is the worst case of HDA day I've ever seen. I mean, what is wrong with this kid? Then I discovered he was drinking about six or eight of those things every day, and it was like five times as much caffeine as, as coffee. So we have artificial ways of waking us up, but these artificial ways are kind of superficial, aren't they? And they don't really cause a deep awakening of our spirit and our soul. And that's what I want us to look at this morning. So, so one of the ways that this happens, one of the, the results of a deep awakening is an emptying of self. An emptying of self. In order for the Spirit of God to move into our life, there has to be a self-emptying. And in John chapter 12, this is our main text for today, Jesus is speaking to His disciples. And it's just before he's arrested, just before his arrest and crucifixion. And it says that there now were some Greeks among those who went up to worship the festival. The festival was the uh, festival of uh, one of those festivals, the, the main one. Which was the main one, Kevin? Well, that was the tabernacle. Passover, Passover, that's what I was trying to think of. It just went out of my mind. So the feast of the Passover is what they were, what they were celebrating at this point. And then the next verse says, They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee. Galilee was another region. He had traveled a good distance to get to Jerusalem. And they had a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. And Philip went to tell Andrew, and Andrew and Philip in turn told Jesus. And Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man, which was his title, self-imposed title, to be glorified. Very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Do you hear what Jesus is saying? That He is going to be glorified, but yet for this to happen, He's going to have to die. He's going to have to empty Himself, even of His own life, in order for the glorification to take place. Verse 26, Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Not his name. Not his, this Jesus of Nazareth in his humanity. But glorify the name of God the Father. And so to do this, he talks about a a kernel of wheat falling into the ground and dying. And that's a metaphor for his own body, which would be placed in a tomb in the ground. And unless this kernel of wheat dies, he said, it will not produce fruit. So an emptying of self, a decluttering of our life, and a focus on the things of God. The president of Rotary International is a guy who calls himself Ravi. And it's because nobody can pronounce his last name. But Ravi is the first part of it, so that's what he calls himself. That's how he signs his name. And he tells the story about the time that he met Mother Teresa. 
Mother Teresa, of course, was doing her work in Calcutta, India. And he knocks on her door and he meets her and he goes away from that experience with just the, the most awesome sense of being in the presence of greatness. Even though she was very humble, her personality was so dynamic. And he said uh, he met her and ran into her several times after that at different functions and that she was always so humble. But yet she was doing such great things. And if you ever ask her what she did, she would say, I'm an expert at cleaning toilets. There was a young man, very elegantly dressed, who went to visit her one day on the streets of Calcutta where she lived. And he knocked on the door of her house and some of the other people living there answered the door and he asked if he could speak to Mother Teresa. And they pointed to the rear of the house and said she's cleaning a toilet. And so he goes back in his expensive suit and he speaks to her and without even looking up, she just assumes he's a volunteer and she hands him a brush. And she proceeds to tell him how to use the brush to clean the toilet and also how not to waste so much water. And then she walks away to do something else. And so he was standing there in his expensive suit and with his toilet brush and there's nothing left for him to do except clean the toilet. And he spends about 20 minutes doing so. And then he goes to find her again. And he says, Mother Teresa, I have done what you've asked. May I speak to you now? And she said, of course. And he said, I am president of an airline. And I have come to deliver your airline tickets to you in person. And he talked about that experience for years after that. And he said, I knew I was in the presence of greatness But more importantly, in the 20 minutes I was cleaning that toilet, I actually had the sense that I was involved in the ministry of Mother Teresa to the poor and the sick and the dying and the least of these, the worst of the worst, the poorest of the poor, as Mother Teresa described them. You see, this self-emptying, when we are able to empty ourselves, whether it's, it's cleaning a toilet or whatever it is, then somehow God honors that. And sometimes he produces the greatest fruit that we'll ever experience. It sounds rather dull and and uninteresting to empty ourselves. It doesn't sound very desirable as something we would choose to do, does it? But yet we empty ourselves and God fills us with the ability to do ministry in his name and the ability to, to be rewarded for doing so. I want to tell you a little story that happened to me. It's not on that level. It seems very uninteresting and insignificant, but it was very profound for me on that particular day. It was back in the spring of this year, and I was on my way to my office sometime after 8 o'clock, and I was going by the little coffee shop in Locust called the Daily Grind. Some of you may be familiar with it. It's a rather popular little shop, and I've gotten to know... Tyler, the barista there, and so I was pulling into the parking lot that day, and usually, almost every time I've ever stopped there, I run into the accountant that does our books for Live Again Ministries. Her name is Julie, and she is a regular there. She is a frequent flyer at the coffee shop, okay, and so I thought, well, I'll probably run into Julie, and then I remembered that it was the height of tax season, like a week before April 15th. 
And I thought, well, you know, she probably can't afford this luxury of time to stop by the coffee shop. And she was not there. I couldn't, I didn't see her car. And so I had this idea and I texted her and I said, Julie, can I bring you and your coworker a coffee? And she wrote back and said, yes, that would be wonderful. She does a lot of good things for us, a lot of extra things. And so I just had this moment of, of compassion, of little random act of kindness, or in this case, an intentional act of kindness that I wanted to do. And so I got the coffee, took it to her office, and she came to greet me after I walked in the door, and there were tears in her eyes. And I immediately said, what's wrong? And she said, you won't believe this, but right after you texted me, my coworker got a call that her father had just died rather unexpectedly. And she said, I'm not very good at things like this. I didn't know what to say to her. And then I realized that you were coming in just a few minutes, and, and you would know what to say. And I assured her that I did not always know what to say, but just to be present and listen and talk and, and pray, which I did. It doesn't sound like a lot, a big deal. But by that little decision I made to do this act of kindness, this little tiny, for me, emptying of self, God was able to do His work, and someone else saw it as a divine appointment. And so the emptying of self is very important for our deep awakening in turning our lives on to the things of God. The second one is that a deep awakening involves a Jesus-level cause. Mother Teresa, don't mean to keep talking about her, but she got it right. She understood that it was to serve the least of these. And that's what Jesus taught us, is it not? In Matthew 25, there are three back-to-back -back parables. And I didn't realize this until we were studying it a couple of weeks ago with this uh, men's group that I lead on, on Friday mornings. And one of the guys pointed out, he said, you know, there are three parables here. And I was looking ahead and reading ahead, and I realized that there is a common thread between all three of them. The first one is the parable of of the uh, ten virgins. Five were described as foolish, five as wise, and they were attending a, a wedding festival. And five of them were described as foolish because they brought their lamps but not enough oil. And they didn't know when the bridegroom was coming because travel was not always predictable in those days. And maybe he got a late start, maybe he had a late tea time that day, couldn't get there in time, and so it was after dark. And so the five who had just no oil in their lamps were turned away and were not allowed to enter into the house. And the bridegroom is on his way, and he's coming. And this was part of the, the marriage custom of that day. We could spend a lot of time talking about that, and it's very interesting to research. In fact, you remember that passage in John 14 where Jesus says to his disciples, now remember Jesus is described as the bride or the groom and we are the bride the church is his bride and he's talking to his disciples and he said I go to prepare a place for you and I will come again and receive you into myself and he had said in my father's house are many rooms and I'm going to fix up one for you and me and I'm going to come again and receive you into myself that where I am you may be also that was part of the custom of the, bride, of the groom speaking to the bride at the time of betrothal. And he used that to impose 
the idea that he was going to return for his disciples and he was going to bring them with him to the Father's house and spend eternity with them. And so that's, that's the first parable. The, the, fir, the five wise bridesmaids were prepared. And that's the, the whole theme of that first parable is preparedness or readiness. But it's all to do with stewardship. It's, it's doing with what God has entrusted us with. It's being ready to receive it when it comes. And the second parable is a, a parable about the uh, talents. The talent was a bag of gold. It's a measure of money. And so you remember the story very quickly that five were given, or, or yeah, uh, one guy was given five bags of gold, a second man was given two bags of gold, and a third one was given one bag. And it was interesting to see what they did with those bags of gold. The first one multiplied his and doubled his money, and he had ten at the end when the owner returned. The one with two doubled his, and so he had four. But the one who was given the one bag of gold only buried his talent, buried his treasure, and he was thoroughly chastised by the owner when he returned, that he had not invested it, that which with which he had been entrusted, he had failed. And then the third story, the third lesson, is talking about, and Jesus is talking about being sick, and nobody visited him. And then he said, I was hungry, and you didn't feed me. I was in prison, and you didn't come to me. And on and on he goes, and the disciples say, when were you these things? When were you sick or imprisoned or hungry, and we didn't visit you? And he said, you remember, if you have done it unto one of these, the least of my brothers and sisters, you have done it unto me. This was a Jesus-level cause. Now, who are the least of these? He describes them in those ways in Matthew 25 as being hungry and sick and imprisoned, those who are deprived those who are less fortunate, those that we would describe in our day as lost and broken and in need of healing. And Jesus saw these as the greatest cause of all for those who would follow him. It's a kingdom value. And the disciples learned this in the three years that they spent with him. And then the third way that we experience this deep awakening is to spend time with Jesus. It's that simple. For the disciples, it was three years, day and night, and they were never very far from his presence. There are no shortcuts to this, but we try to create shortcuts, and we try to have these artificial awakenings in our life. And what we can't conjure up this deep awakening. You can't bypass it. You can't shortcut it. And I think it boils down to two ways that we spend time with Jesus. In His Word, because in those three years, remember the disciples heard every word He spoke, and they took these words to heart, and they even wrote them down, and this is how we have the Gospels, the Word of Jesus. We should spend so much time just studying the Gospels and reading and applying them to our lives. So the Word, but also the work that, with which Jesus is involved, and the work is to the least of these. You remember the work that Jesus did? He did the miracles. He did the, uh, the healing, helping the blind to see and the lame to walk. He did all of these things because of His great compassion. In fact, it says that He went about doing good. 
the good works that Jesus did will lead to a deep awakening in our own life. There's no shortcut to that. And then the fourth one, we achieve this deep awakening by having deep experiences. Deep experiences. Not just the shallow things, but the very deep things. And this is where we follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit. And in fact, we often refer to them as the mountaintop experiences, right? You know, we have these, these huge mountaintop experiences, and it could be in a worship service on a Sunday morning, and I think you have one here every Sunday morning, and it's here to receive, and it's God's blessing and gift to you. But there are other ways we, re- we experience these mountaintop spiritual highs, if you will. Jesus took his disciples to the top of a mountain at one point. It's called the Mount of Transfiguration, and as we've looked back on it, but while he was there, they saw a vision of him being transfigured, and he was, he was dressed in dazzling white clothes, and Moses and Elijah also appeared in this vision. And it was so great and such a wonderful mountaintop experience that Peter said, we need to just stay right here. Let's build a tent. Let's build a structure so that we can experience this forever. We'll just live here the rest of our lives. And Jesus said, no. No, we've got to go back. And when they went back in the valley, you remember what happened. They ran into the dying and the sick and the lame and the broken, the demon-possessed. And Jesus said, this is how you have a deep awakening of your soul and your spirit. Now, it's important to have these mountaintop experiences but not just for the rush, not just for the adrenaline rush or for the spiritual high, but so that we can sustain something that is at a higher level than we've ever experienced before. So that's how we have a deep awakening, through deep experiences. And then the fifth one is through some of the deepest struggles of our life. We have deep awakenings. We need the mountaintop experiences, but we also need the valleys. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, but you are with me, or because you are with me. God walks with us through the valleys, and it is in the valleys and the struggles that we have some of our deepest awakenings of our spirit. And isn't this what Jesus was talking about in John 12 when he talked about Unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it will not produce fruit. And he went on to talk about his own personal struggle with all this. He said, Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. Remember his prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, where he agonized over his decision to go to the cross, and then he said, Finally, let this cup pass from me. No, no, no. Not your will, but thine be done. In the struggles of life, we find this. One of my favorite passages that has meant so much to me in the last decade or so of my spiritual journey is a little obscure passage in the book of Job. It's not obscure for Job. In fact, it looms large in the whole struggle that Job was going through. In Job 14, 14, it says, if a man dies, he raises this question, 
if a man dies because he was experiencing everything but death for himself, if a man dies, will he live again? All the days of my struggle, I will wait until my change comes. Here is a man who had lost everything, including his own health, as well as his family and his property and his livestock. But yet he's wondering, is there more to life than this? If a man dies, will he live again? But then he expresses this hope. This hope is, is expressed in this way. All the days of my struggle, I will wait until my change comes. Hope is the belief, not just a wish. It is the belief that tomorrow is going to be better than today. And this is what Job was expressing. That in his struggle, no matter how deep the struggle is or how deep the valley that tomorrow can be better than today. When we empty ourselves, and when we spend time with Jesus, when we engage in Jesus-level causes, when we engage in those deep experiences of life, then we can experience a deep, deep awakening. Psalm 107, 23 and 24 says, Some went out to the sea in ships, They were merchants on the mighty waters. They saw the works of the Lord, His wonderful deeds in the deep. In the deep, out at sea, where it seems not nearly as safe as the harbor, is where we experience and see the wonderful deeds of the Lord. They're found in the deep experiences of life, even the struggles. In fact, it's in the deep experiences, it's in the deep struggles of life that sometimes we see the most powerful and the mightiest signs and wonders and even miracles of God. It is in the deep experiences of life that we experience the greatest love and the greatest mercy and the greatest grace It is in the deep experiences of life that we have the greatest emptying of self and the greatest filling of the Spirit. Let us pray for a deep awakening. Father, we pray that you would touch our lives and our hearts this morning in ways that cause us to want to go deeper and not just to be awakened for the day, but awakened for our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Pastor Kevin. That was good, wasn't it? You know, I think there are some of us today that are here, and maybe over the last season of our life, we've been going through some struggles. I think that as we listen to Ronnie talk to us about struggle and awakening, that I think that maybe we've misdiagnosed what the struggle in our life is. We've said that the struggle is a liability, that it's life taking something away from me. But perhaps today we can see that in the struggle that you're facing, maybe God is wanting to give you something that you could never get any other way. Let's pray. I want to spend some time praying today. God, we just come before you and we thank you that you're a good and gracious and loving God. God, you you care about us deeply. And today, there's some of us in the room. God, we've been struggling in our, our careers. God, we've been struggling in our relationships. Some of us have been struggling inside when it comes to hope and joy and peace. We've been living in fear and turmoil and anxiety and stress. 
And maybe the struggle that's going on today is really an opportunity that you've given us, a chance for us to embrace something that we could never get any other way. God, today I think there are some of us that you want to, to shift our perspective. Some of us, God, have never experienced this kind of awakening. We've never had a moment where you stepped into our world, changed the way we see it, filled us with hope and love. And God, maybe right now is that time. Maybe, maybe right now is that moment that you want to wake us up. So let's pray, God, over as we, as we continue to, to just kind of process this. And God, we're going to just take a moment. And as we, we're going to look in our hearts and ask that question. So with every head bowed, every eye closed, nobody getting up or moving right now, here's what I want to ask you. Are you that person that's in here today and you know that you need that kind of awakening to happen in your heart? You, you maybe have had a, a desire. You may know Jesus. You may have been, been following him maybe your whole life. Maybe, maybe you've known about him. But you realize that the eyes of your heart have grown droopy and fallen asleep when it comes to him. And today, God is shaking you and he wants to wake you up. God wants you to get out of the bed. Stop, stop sleeping. Stop, stop drifting away from him. You know that God right now is offering you an awakening. If you know that you're that person right now and you want to receive that gift, you want to say, God, God, wake me up. I'm tired of falling asleep. Raise your hand if that's you right now. Awesome. Awesome. Who else is here that would say that today? Who else is here? Awesome. I see that hand. Now I'm going to ask another question. I want you to be very honest and real with yourself. Are you that person that's living with a struggle? And you've looked at that struggle and you've said, this struggle is in my life so that it can take away my life. It's taking away my joy. It's taking away my peace. It's taking away my life. And maybe today you see that God has given you that struggle so that he can wake you up. So that even in the midst of the struggle, you can have joy and peace and hope. If right now you just want to say, God, I want to give you this struggle. I, I want to get out of it whatever you want me to get out of it. Raise your hand if that's you. Raise your hand if that's you right now. Awesome. Awesome. So God, we just come before you. And those of us that need to be woken up today, God, we just, we just say to you, God, we, we're here God, we've fallen asleep. We've failed. God, for those of us that have been facing struggles, where we desperately need to surrender them to you so that we can get out of them. God, we just surrender right in front of you today. God, we just bow our hearts. We bend our knees and we just say, hey, God, we're here. Take it. Do in my heart what you want to do. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information on our church, we encourage you to visit us online at vortexchurch.com.